When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. The intro goes right here. Hey everyone, welcome to For Screen. And Gunter. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And before we get into this week's movie, Jason, we are going to read some comments regarding the movie we talked about last week. Or, you know, a couple weeks ago, however time works. The, yeah. the most recent movie on the war list that we yes. talked about. And that is, of course... Beasts of No Nation. We had a few people who saw it, but I will say this. I will make a blanket statement at the beginning here, Jason. Mm-hmm. Less people than I thought. Yes. And it also supports a theory I have that no matter how good a Netflix original is, I feel like they are quickly lost to time. Like, look, look, David Fincher directed a movie for Netflix called Mank, and no one remembers it. And people, And people liked it. I liked it. It's a David Fincher movie, and people yeah. were like, that exists. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's the cycle now, right? In the old days, it was like you, you'd you have the run-up to a movie, you'd have all the promotion for it, it would come out, and then it would, you know, there'd be all this Oscar buzz, and then the Oscars would roll around, the thing would get a bunch of nominations or whatever, and then it would end up on video cassette, and you'd have this whole, like, long cycle. But, but now, it's like it just, it gets dropped on Netflix, people talk about it for a little bit, and then it, yeah, it just, it sinks into the, into the mire, into the into the cultural sinkhole. I mean, what was that? What was that Alfonso Carry On movie from a few years back? <laughs> Alfonso Carry On, my favorite carry on. of the pair. Carry, carry, carry On, Alfonso. Carry on. Oh, you know man. the one, Roma. Roma. If, that was the one. If there was a title, Carry On, Alfonso, in the '60s, <laughs> that would be the most racist one, I think. I, I have to. I have to figure. It'd be very much, uh, very much up there. Uh, but yes, it was Roma. Yes. Okay. Well, hey, Jason, start us off. What did people say about uh, Beasts of No Nation? Thanks, Brendan. Uh, our first comment comes from Legea Polidora, who writes, I saw it and was so blown away by Idris Elba's performance. It was so raw, so painful to watch. I'm guessing making movies like this isn't very lucrative for an actor of, of his standing, which is a shame because his talent was breathtaking. The boys in the film were also so tragic and captivating. A must watch in my book. Yeah, and I mean, it's a good point because Idris Elba, great actor who does a lot of not so great movies. <laughs> In general. But like, but like, you know, he's usually good. Like, I don't know I've ever seen him bad in something. I'm sure he has been. No, I've never, I've never seen him like particularly bad in a movie. Just uh, his charisma always carries him through. But he's had, he's had a few turds here and there. I mean, he was in the Dark Tower, and I, I heard nothing but bad things about that. Ugh, it's not great. He's not. Shame. The, I... He's not the issue. No. Um, Matthew I the casting does not give a shit in that movie. No. <laughs> I, I feel like maybe Matthew hasn't read the book. <laughs> I feel like there's a good chance neither of them did. Yeah. Um, also, probably not the writer of the yeah. movie. But it's anyway. Well, continuing on, Josh Ochoa says, Loved it when it came out, but I haven't revisited for a while. Both leads deserve nominations, IMO. Which stands for, in my opinion, to you old fucks out there. Yeah, I, I think kids should be recognized when they do you know, an exceptional acting job in a film. And it's too bad there wasn't, like, an award specifically for younger talent uh, 
to recognize because, you know, they too often get shut out in favor of adult actors. And I, I don't know that they should be. There's a lot of really great kid performers out there. There's a lot of bad ones, too. But you think of somebody like, you know, somebody that comes along once in a generation, like a, like a Dakota Fanning. Or a Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, or Haley Joel Osment. I mean, there's not too many kid actors that can reach that level. Yeah. Not everyone's Ralph Mouth. No. <laughs> or Horseshack. Mm. Or Shack Horse. <laughs> My favorite Shack. Who's next, Jason? <laughs> I'm Shaq, and I just got a horse. <laughs> our next... Uh, <laughs> that would be what he said. That would be. Uh, our next comment, Brandon, comes from one Joe Birch, who writes, great films, some incredible performances from young actors. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, and from uh, young actors that are supposed to be going through a terrible, tragic existence. Yeah. That's yeah. tough, man. Be- believable. Believable I'm, casting. I imagine for kids, it's hard enough to be an extra in Richie Rich, let alone... You know, of all movies, let alone fucking Beasts of No Nation. Come but, on. But I'm sure in the 90s, a kid being on a Hollywood set, you were so safe. Oh, yeah. You know, from... you were absolutely safe. There was no problems there. It was no. all good. If it anything, was only love. If, if anything, reports have been coming out of that era to say how safe it was. That's just proof of how much liars children are, right? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, that's awful. Well, our last comment, Jason, she's coming in hot. Sharon Horwat, she has some things to say. She is a sure. top contributor, by the way. And she says, I thought it was fine. It is still insane to me that Idris Elba didn't get nominated for an Oscar because he's so freaking good in this. I would argue um, the reason he doesn't is the same reason the movie didn't get nominated for Best Picture is because Hollywood had this weird vendetta against mm. Netflix for a long time. That still exists a little bit, I would say. Yeah, Hollywood for sure. and, and uh streaming movies for sure but um it is funny some of that some is... of the guys who blaze trails in the 70s now have gotten a little uh a little elitist in their old age maybe yeah. we're looking at you marty and coppola <laughs> and stevie i do i do think it's funny listen i love martin scorsese as much as the next person but sure. I, I do think it's funny that he banned theaters from showing an intermi- uh, uh having an intermission in killers of the flower moon like he was paramount was contacting them not to do it when he himself also signed a deal to have the movie on Apple TV at the same time. What do you think people on Apple TV are doing? They're pausing the goddamn movie, yeah. Marty. Marty, if it was good enough for David Lean in his movies, it's fucking good enough for you. So suck it up, princess, and give us an intermission. Sometimes we gotta pee. It's okay. It's okay, Marty. We can take a break. We don't need to go for three straight hours, Marty. It's okay. And and you know what? With The Irishman, it was fine because it was on Netflix. But the, the, the new movie, it's in the theaters. I got things to do, Marty. I got a life to live and I don't have time to sit there and not be. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jason. It was Marty Scorsese, not Marty McFly. Oh, oh well, then uh, I'm, I'm very sorry uh, to Martin Scorsese. Yeah, I just, I, well, you should be sorry to Marty McFly because it sounded like you I'm were going into full Doc McFly. Brown there. But he knows what he did. Yeah. Well, he didn't declare that he wasn't a Nazi, so I don't know what to think of him yet. That's true. The he character. Is, he, Marty McFly has not gone on record to say that he is not a Nazi. Right. So how can you know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're going to move on. We're going to start this week's show, Jason. We're going to launch it. Roll the intro. Coming up, the fellas drop into the bloody fields of Virginia in 1951's The Red Badge of Courage. Look, I could make up something clever or fun as usual, but fella, this movie stars Artie Murphy. Not only was he actually a soldier, by gum, he was the most decorated soldier of the whole of World War II. Now how's about that? 
All this in a plate of hardtack and sow belly this week on For Screen and Country. We may rust beneath inaction, we may sink beneath disease. The summer sun may scorch us or the winter blast may freeze. But whatever may befall us, we will let the rebels see that unconquered we will still remain the army of the free. The army of the free, the army of the free. Unconquered we shall still remain the army of the Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming out tonight. We are coming to you live from the Rappahannock River just outside Fredericksburg in Virginia, United States of America. We don't have passports, so don't tell anybody we're here. Hi, Brendan. Oh, Jason, is my face red right now? Fredericksburg, yeah. right? Mm, yeah. I must have taken a wrong turn in the air because I ended up in Fredericton. Oh, that's weird. That explains why we're talking on Skype right now, and you're not here in Fredericksburg with me and this beautiful crowd of people. This ugly, ugly... Wait, can they hear me? Mm, yes. Oh, yes. They can hear you. Yeah, oh. no, they're booing now. I can hear oh, them. Okay. They, you can't hear them booing, but I can hear them booing. Sorry, sorry. This horrifyingly, ugly, perversely unattractive crowd of people. That's better. Now they're cheering. That's strange. Well, that's well, very... They seem to like it. I kid, I kid, I love all the peoples, all the peoples from all the worlds, all the worlds over, love them all. Did you hear that, folks? He loves you. Yeah. Okay, they're all nodding appreciatively. Good. Well, I mean, we already said our names, but this is a podcast called For Screen. And Kundra. And you know who we are, and if you don't, well, why did you skip to like 10 minutes into the episode, you idiots? Unless maybe maybe they're like uh, like people that listen to Mark Maron's podcast, they think the first ten minutes is all just us talking about bullshit, and then uh, and then they want to get to the real, I the real s- meat, which it kind of is. But we do talk about people's comments. We don't just ruminate about our lives. You literally just said that the people's comments are kind of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, they're only kind of bullshit, Jason. Look, our people's comments aren't bullshit because th- these are real, verifiable people. Yes. It's not bots. I mean, Mark Maron, it's all bots. Wait, all bots? Like even Mark it's Maron himself? Yep, he's a bot. He's been a bot since 2015. Wow. Um, wow. So I guess yeah. is it, that's what that song by Sir Mix-a-Lot is all about, right? I like big bots. And you can't lie about it. You can't it's... lie because... No, no, I think it's I like big bots and I also like AI. It doesn't flow off the tongue quite as well. No, but I like what? big it's butts and I like AI. Is that better? Listen I like AI and I cannot lie. I don't like mm, this. It's this too much is, I. Welcome to our new podcast uh, for Screen and Weird Alling. <laughs> for Screen and Pitching Weird Al. Weird Al, this podcast is just for you. For Weird Al and Country Songs. <laughs> you know, oh. Brendan, just to... Just to Get off on a, not a rant here, but a little side Sure, tangent. okay, Dennis, yeah, go for it. Is there anybody waiting in the wings to take over the title of preeminent parody artist when Weird Al shuffles off this mortal coil? Because I can't think of anyone offhand who does parodies that is even nearly as well-known as Weird Al. Now, that's not to say that there aren't... a billion parody songs on the internet because there are but has anybody 
risen to the top in a way that Weird Al has. Well, Jason, if we're being perfectly honest, I mean, I think you and I were both struck uh, fools when the Arrogant Worms didn't become the number one act in the world. Um, Especially considering, you know, all their hits that are definitely popular outside of Canada. Yeah, but they're not a parody group, Brendan. They they, do originals. They're close to that. They rewrote the Canadian national anthem. Now, Weird Al certainly does originals, but they didn't do. They're not. No, they don't count, Brendan. They don't count. Think, think. But but you know what? We'll put that aside because that's not what we're here to talk about. Folks, let us know if there's somebody that even comes close to Weird Al because I don't think there is. Mm. But it's not what we're here to talk about, Brendan. We are here deep in Virginia near the city of Fredericksburg, famous site of the Battle of Fredericksburg. I wish I could Uh, see it again. But that's not what we're talking about. No, we're talking about a film, as you heard in the intro. We are talking about the Red Badge of Courage, which is number 58 on our top 100 war movies list, as distributed by Paste Magazine, the pastiest and magaziniest of Paste Magazines. Were you you prompting me to say something? I was waiting for you to chip in. Oh, I, I I didn't know what you were saying. Pastiest of paste magazines. The pastiest and magaziniest of it. I was yes-anding you, Jason. I assumed you were going to tell me something further about Paste Magazine, its legacy, and its history with the, the cinema of war and and battle and, and uh, you know. Paste has been a big part of uh, war history because it was used to put up posters. Mm. Mm. Big part of history, too, because horses and paste go sure. well together. Absolutely. And it was and it was and it was the paste industry that uh, that made paste for posters out of horses um, that eventually made paste magazine because they thought, well, if we can make all this paper that we can paste on walls, let's make a magazine. And when they when they sent out the first magazines, originally they were covered in paste. And this turned out to be a mistake. Because people don't like it when their magazines are covered in thick paste that then dries and gets stuck to them. Uh, so they had a complete change of, uh, of a kind of worldview, a change in leadership, and it established the Paste magazine that we know and love today. Now, of course, originally it was a trade magazine. It was specifically about paste. But over time they realized you can only write about 100 pages a month about paste. You need more to fill it out. I will never yes and you again. <laughs> <laughs> you you got what you deserved. Um and ju- and and folks, you heard that right. You, you know, glue paste used to be made out of horses. So when you are looking at those beautiful pictures of Sable Island's new glue factory, yeah. be a little hesitant about that. There's, there's something a foul going on there. God, it was is there is there anything more diabolical you could do in the province of Nova Scotia than <laughs> set up a paste factory on Sable Island? Oh no, Elmer's on his way to Sable Island. <laughs> okay, but we we're we're going to talk about Red Badge of Courage. That's what we're actually doing this week, Jason. We're talking about a Civil War film. With Civil War implications. Jason, Red Badge of Courage is a film. It's directed by John Huston, and it stars Mr. Audie Murphy. We'll talk about him a lot more later, obviously, because there's some, there's some stuff about him. Mm-hmm. Um, also stars uh, uh, Bill Mald- Malden, um, Douglas Dick, uh, <laughs> Royal Dano, John Dierks, Arthur Honeycutt, Tim Durant, Andy Devine, and Robert Easton. And the real the reason I didn't say who they were playing specifically is because though they are sometimes referred to by their names in the movie, they are not credited as such. 
They are credited as, for example, the youth, the loud soldier, the lieutenant, the tattered man, the tall soldier, the general, the cheery soldier. There's a couple char- There's like two characters who have names in this movie, yeah. but most of them do not, though they are sometimes named in the movie. Because I feel like John Huston was like, well, at some point I can't just have someone go up to Audie Murphy and say, hey, the youth, what are you doing hey. over there? Hey, fella. Hey, young guy. And, of course, directed by John Huston, like I said, who brought us classic movies such as uh, The Maltese Falcon, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, The African Queen, which was shortly after this, The Asphalt Jungle, The Misfits, Key Largo, Fat City, and your favorite, I'm sure, the 1967 Casino Royale. And my favorite thing that he's brought us through one of his loads, I just said it. Houston. I just said it, the 1967 Casino Royale. <laughs> you, you ejaculated that into existence. He did, and that's your favorite. You you tri- you tripped on my joke, Brendan. That uh, my favorite thing that he produced via one of his loads was Angelica Houston. I think I think she's his daughter. Can't be that many Houstons in Hollywood. If he if she's not, you just made a very weird uh, bit about someone who I, wasn't yeah. related to him. That's possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can look it up on Wikipedia, but that's no fun. It is no fun. Let the, and guys, if you know, don't tell us. Just keep it to yourself. Don't be. Don't. No one likes a braggart. No. Ooh, look at me! I googled it. Wow. Congratulations, so, pal. We need to point out, Brendan, for better or for worse, this movie is number one in one category, and that it is only sixty-nine minutes long up top. That's right. Uh, so that was sweet. I mean, uh, you know, we've watched way, a lot of long movies. By the way, I did the research. It is her father. <laughs> okay. Thank you. We watched a lot of long movies. You're right. You're right. We watched some that were almost, uh, three, three of these. We, we definitely yeah. watched movies on this podcast. that were three of these, if not more. I'm pretty sure Lawrence is pretty close to four hours when you figure in the, uh, intermission in the around that area. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but this movie is 69 minutes long, and, of course, the backstory of it is, is very unfortunate that there was a two-hour cut of this that uh, was cut by the studio, and as far as we know, no longer exists. Apparently, it was lost in a studio fire. Okay, so you read two-hour cut. I read that there was yeah. a 98-minute cut, but not I mean, maybe two hours. Maybe there is something a little longer. According to the Wikipedia, I think it says that uh, the original cut was two hours long. Hmm. Um, and there, uh, specifically, the only but the only thing I could really find referred to was there was apparently a death scene with the soldier referred to as the ragged guy, the tattered the ragged man. man or the tattered man. Yeah, yeah, apparently he did a very good death scene that was so affecting that people like ran into the theater <laughs> and they cut it. So affecting that the, that the studio was like, it doesn't need to be in the picture. Yeah. So yeah. what we have here is a very lean, mean uh, Civil War movie shot in black and white in 1951, mm-hmm. uh, starring our old pal Audie Murphy. By the way, as we pointed out in the opening of this show, Audie Murphy, the most decorated U.S. soldier of World War II, he earned literally every single award that the United States gave out to soldiers mm-hmm. for his actions. And he was like, he went in, and that was like from 1943 to 45. So in like a two-year period, this guy... This young guy, this young guy who is pretty good looking too. I mean, because he's a you know, young guy. Died very young at 45. Died relatively young in a plane crash. You know? Yeah. I mean, he was only yeah, he was only in his 40s, but comes out of World War II with every piece of fucking uh, metal on his chest and decides to become an actor. Yeah. And I mean, of course, who's going to turn him down? And actually, it turns out he's not bad. 
He's like he's pretty, not just he's yeah. not just a soldier living out his fantasy because he's a hero. He actually is not a bad actor. Well, and you know how we know he's not a soldier just living out his fantasy as a hero, Jason, is because in this movie he doesn't exactly play Captain Courageous right from the no. get go. No, and that's uh, yeah, exactly. He's playing a character who is, at least through the novel, as I understand, is going through a real internal struggle with the. Uh, you know, cowardice and his perception of cowardice and his and how others perceive him and, you know, the, the demands of being a man. And we see some of that in the movie because he does go through a struggle. He's going into combat. Now, like a lot of soldiers, I think he's thinking that he's, you know, he, he's scared, but he thinks that he's the only one that's scared because I think he, a lot of people think that. Well, in the movie, like, and the movie does such a good job of showing us that because they show him with his obvious struggle. As he's sitting there, and, he, and I think we get some, like, uh, voiceover as he's thinking about, like, you know, worried about that they're finally going to go into battle because there's been all this delay about, like, tinkering around, and they're they're running drills and everything, and now they're like, no, they're finally going into battle. And he's sitting there, and he's seeing all the other men excited and hooting yeah. and hollering that they're going to go into battle. But then the thing that where the film really tells you that a lot of them are likely masking it too is that right when the battle starts a bunch of them try to run away oh yeah and a bunch of them do well and 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 audie himself or or henry i guess is the character's name he you know we see this internal struggle he's going through because we hear the voiceover narration and, and we get time with him but he responds by doing what the rest of them are doing he starts like dick waving right he starts being like yeah i'm itching to get to battle all we do is fucking drill all day we need to get out there and get the revs you know and that's how he starts dealing with it because he doesn't want to be seen as like a coward he doesn't want anybody to suspect that he has those feelings at heart because the rest of them are clearly ready to go he's got to at least you know try to pretend to be ready to go yeah like so i feel like and i know we mentioned john wayne quite a few times who are talking about these movies but i feel like this is a movie that i don't know his opinion on it but i feel like he would not like this movie because yeah. it shows it, it shows um someone who it shows characters that are deserters in a nuanced light like it's, yeah. it's like well yeah okay we could just sit here and well, easily call them cowards and we call them whatever but there's there's always an actual reason and maybe we shouldn't jump to uh uh, an assumption that they're just some like low life coward. I don't know if he would necessarily be considered a deserter because he didn't actually like run away from the army. He just ran away in the battle. Well, he's so, a deserter. I mean, I'm sure that's that still he... a court martialable offense. Well, no, but he does desert the them during the battle. Yes, he does desert them during the battle, right? And of course, and and honestly, yeah, that's a thing that could get you court martialed and even executed, right? <coughs> But I and just so think it's funny this... that John Wayne, who himself has never served, yeah, um, exactly. was I always trust one his... to be like, you know, like he did, like there was that story about how he didn't want, he, he was offered to do um, uh, High Noon and he, and he thought it was so ridiculous that this guy was like going around town begging for people to help him because this like small army was coming in to face him. And he was like, well, this coward should have just went up to those men and fought for his town. And I'm like, <laughs> not everybody has to be this stereotypical macho asshole. Not everybody has a death wish. Not everybody. Exa <laughs> that's, that's very true. Very true. And also, again, he John Wayne is the biggest coward of them all because he never yeah. actually served in the army once. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried about what John Wayne had to say. He proved himself a, a shithead many times in life, and now he's dead, and that's his fault because he's an idiot. Most notably, if you want to really read about what a bag of shit he is, 1971 Playboy interview. Hoo boy.
But anyway, I don't want to get off on uh, I don't want to get off on John Wayne, but I don't want to get off no. on talking about uh, John Wayne while we're trying to talk about this movie. So Jason, Folks, please continue. If you want to hear us talk about John Wayne, please check out the What Were They Thinking episode where we talk about The Conqueror starring John Wayne in his greatest role. Or just hang tight because we have some John Wayne coming up on this list at some point. Oh yeah, I suppose uh, is Green Berets on this list? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Well, he's in he's in Longest Day, right? And I don't know what else. Uh, is Oh, uh, uh, he might be in A Bridge Too Far. There's a, there's, a, there's a few coming up. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Uh, so, so we got, we got Henry, he's out there, he's worried about things. And so then he gets into battle. It's like, they finally get the word they're going into battle. So they go and they have to defend the little area and in the course of the battle. And by the way, Brendan, yes, the battle scenes in this movie are fucking fantastically filmed. They're pretty impressive. Like, like we have a scene where they're, they're low in on like an open field and they've got a little bit of, uh, like cover and meanwhile there's some heights up and we could see the cannon going off on the heights firing down into them and the you could see the rebels in the distance coming over the hill and then starting their charge down and it's like it's a lot of actors yeah, like yeah. they really spent some money on this thing at the time and it looks great it and looks wonderful unfortunately for them jason they did spend some money at the time and most of that money was lost because this movie was a bomb that's unfortunate. But we'll talk about that later. I'm just saying, it was a bomb. Yeah, a bomb like the bombs that were dropped on our boys by the fucking Rebs. I don't know why they're our boys. I'm not American. Although, I will say, folks, we are a staunchly pro-union podcast. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're certainly not pro-Confederacy. Uh, no, 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 certainly not. Certainly Jay- not. Jason, Jason has dabbled, um, but he's always said it, he would have... See, it's the only thing is like he didn't like their battle strategy. He agrees with the Confederacy as an ideal and what they well, were fighting Brandon, for. It was all about states' rights. But he just... <laughs> He just can't. He just can't come to terms with their battle strategy. Let me tell you about tariffs. Okay, let's just move on <laughs> and talk about this week's movie, Prizzy's Honor. Yeah. Oh wait, sorry, that's this a different movie. John Houston movie. <laughs> this movie would be quite different if it was from the Confederate perspective. Uh, it would be called so the yeah. General. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, so he gets into battle and shit starts to go down and the Confederates start to come in and he just can't handle it. He just has a break and he fucking runs off. And in the, you know, of course, it's it's battle, right? So between the cavalry coming through and kicking up dust and all the cannon and stuff, there's fucking smoke everywhere. The, the literal fog of war. Mm. He takes off into the woods and hides for a while. You know what this movie does too is like you mentioned the battle scenes are really impressive. I also this movie was so convincing in its like kind of overall just aesthetic of the time that mm. I kept it, I kept being remind I kept having to remind myself, oh yeah, this was filmed in 1951, not like the 30s. Like this this yeah. is why this looks so good. I mean, granted, All Quiet on the Western Front also looked amazing for the battle yeah. scenes for sure. But, but you I, can tell, like, this is a movie that builds on the on the 20 years of noir films and such that too. have been happening since then. Yeah, well, the lighting at times, right? I mm-hmm. mean, just, just the lighting at times and the and the camera angles. You could tell, like, John Huston is is kind of ev- invoking that a little bit. And, oh, and I mean, some of the shots are fantastic. Well, I mean, like I said, he, this is the director of The Maltese Falcon. The guy yeah. has made film noir or will make film noir. No, has made because that was 1941. Um yeah. So he know he knows like he knows exactly what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so yeah, he ends up in the woods, and let's see, he, when he's in the woods, he, he comes upon, upon the general, and he hears the general, like, ordering the various units around and pressing uh, pressing the attack. And then he ends up with another group of guys. Long story short, oh yeah, at one point he, like, ends up in the woods and he gets clocked by somebody with a rifle because nobody will tell him what's going on. He's trying to find his way back to his unit at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ends up getting knocked out, and he gets picked up by some uh, by what do they call him? Do they call him the the happy soldier, the jolly soldier, the vocal soldier? Well, the loud soldier is his the loud is so- his, his buddy that he's talking yeah, to. All yeah, yeah. No, the other guy is uh, like the the jolly soldier, the tall soldier. No, the cheery no, that soldier. Guy, the cheery soldier. That's it. The cheery soldier. The fat guy picks him up in the woods, and he's like, "I'll get you back to your unit, son." You know, dying's just dying. You know, and then after that, what do you got? Stay on the bright side of life, kiddo. Yeah, and then he... My and impression. Then, uh, by the way, um, just based on the movies I've seen lately, um, this is... The, based on the last five movies I've seen, Jason, mm-hmm. I will say this is number one in its portrayal of overweight people. Now, of course, in my in my past five, one of those is uh, Hamburger, the motion picture. Yeah, yes. We, we watched that recently for our own benefit, and you shouldn't ever do that. <laughs> and uh, was was not nice to fat people, but you know what? As a fat person, I'll say... Even so, still, still not as bad as the racism. <laughs> <laughs> the racism is far worse. The black, the one black character is in handcuffs for the entire yeah. movie, for no reason, no reason whatsoever. No, nope, nothing. Anyway, just wanted to mention that. Kudos to the Red Badge of Courage. Yeah. Although to be fair, the Red Badge of Courage, we do not see a person of color in the entire course of this movie. Now, be fair, eighteen sixty-two, earlier in the war. There were no colored troops yet. There's, this uh, is not glory. No, but uh, you think you might see one somewhere, but nope. No. Nope. Uh, so, yeah, so he eventually makes his way back to his unit, and, of course, they're all happy to see him because they thought he was dead, like anybody else who didn't show up. And he meets his buddy, the loud soldier, there, and he's like, dude, I thought you were dead. And he's like, no, man, I, I got separated, and then I ended up with another unit and was fighting over there on the right flank. Oh, okay, cool. Well, we're glad you're alive. Yeah. And, he, and he's still fretting about it, but the fact is, is that I think he's starting to kind of realize that lots of people, <laughs> lots of people ran in battle. It was very cloudy. It's like, even who's going to pick him out and say that he ran at this point? Like, anybody's left alive, if they're there and ready to fight, I don't think they're going to worry too much about if they ran for a little bit in battle. Yeah, I feel like in modern days, it's easier to pick that out. Yeah, well, because you don't have got lines of guys firing muskets to throw up that kind of smoke that then hangs over the battlefield. Jason, they should bring back muskets in battle. You think so? I think, I think. listen, I'm taking over, military advisor, Brendan, uh, of, of for Screen and Country, and I think we're going back to muskets, we're going back to bayonets, we're going back to, uh, I don't know, those little, and we're going to have those mini tanks, because those were fucking cool. I forget what movie cool. those are from, but remember that guy, like, tripped over the cord yeah. to the mini tank? Was that an attack? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we're little German mini tanks. We're bringing them back. They're coming back full force, Um, and that's it. So mini tanks and muskets. I like. I like your style. Bayonets. (laughs) Bayonets. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I'll let them use like those little tiny shovels. Can we wear tricorn hats too? Let's not go crazy. Oh, okay. Yes, what if you they can. were steel tricorn hats? No, you can. You absolutely can. You can wear whatever hat you want. Everybody wears a different hat. That's the rule. I want to. I want a tricorn helmet. You know God what the thing it. is? I don't. Ever, I never really liked uniforms. Just come as you are. Come, 
as you are. Friendly fire is going to be a lot more dangerous in, the, in these battles. That's true, man. <laughs> so he gets back, yeah, he, and he talks to his buddy and, you know, just kind of slips back into things and decides that he's got to now double down, I guess. And so when he meets this, when, when he meets the loud soldier guy again, uh, Bill or whatever his name is, I don't know if it's Bill. Something. Bill Malden. No, to, Bill Malden is the actor who plays him. Right. I think right. the well, the loud soldier's name is Tom, or he calls yeah, him. Tom. It's Tom Wilson. He calls him Wilson the whole time. Yeah. Right. Right. He, so, anyways, Wilson. Yeah. Wilson like helps him and gives him a, a wrap for his head, and then for the rest of the movie, he's got this fucking bandana on his head, and it's like, wow, shades of platoon. Thank I wonder you. if that was a specific like. I wonder if platoon was specifically referencing that. I don't know, but I wrote that down too. I wrote down was Willem Dafoe doing like a naughty Murphy impression? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that would make sense that if guys in cause guys in Vietnam who were in their twenties and you know the sixties and seventies would have grown up watching Audie Murphy movies, probably the Red Badge of Courage, because Red Badge Red Badge of Courage, as I understand, is like a pretty common book to read in American schools. Yeah, and I mean, and 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 the thing is, in Platoon, when he puts that bandana on, isn't that kind of when he gets a little it's more sort intense? of a. Yeah, a symbol of his transformation of kind yeah. of like falling into it. And and for him too, yeah, because – but for, for Audie Murphy's character, it's less that he is transformed and more almost like a sigil of his transforming, of his attempt to transform because he's not quite there yet. But he puts that thing on and it's then in that battle – when he picks up the he picks up the colors right and fucking runs forward yeah and uh, him and him and his buddy right like that's that's the moment where he kind of really truly comes into it and and is is making up for everything that I guess he he blames himself for the guilt of of his cowardice right and at one point I don't know if it's is it before or after this but he says to he says to his, he admits to him he admits to Wilson that like hey I uh, I ran. <laughs> in the middle of battle and he's like oh I'm so glad to hear that because I ran too but I got caught so they sent me back to the line yeah and then he's like oh man just just knowing that he wasn't the only person and 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 just you know I, I, I could tell you in my own life when you find out something like that and you know you're not the only person that's going through something it's such a relief well that's why there's that's why support groups exist I know because there was no support group for for battle deserters. <laughs> but <laughs> during I mean, the war. But I mean, in general, like you know, what's the what's the purpose of being in a support group? So you can empathize and find other people who are feeling the exact same yeah. thing as you. That's why you have Alcoholics Anonymous. That's why you have Addiction yeah. Anonymous. Like all that shit. Like that's yeah. And there probably wasn't really that sort of thing for guys after the war outside of of. Organizations like the the Grand Army of the Republic, which was like the, essentially the Legion after the war, where all the yeah. old guys would get together and they could shoot the shit and talk about stuff. But well, because I feel there was still a stigma at the time about a lot of yeah. that stuff. Like you know, oh, you're, absolutely. You, you talk about your feelings and your emotions. I don't know. You're either like a woman or you're gay. And for a lot of those guys, if they're going to talk to anybody, they would only they could only really talk to somebody who'd been through it and got it. And yeah. most people hadn't ever been through that. Yeah, I mean. And certainly, if they waited a long time, even less people. Yeah, because there's a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of soldiers died shortly after the war, just from PTSD complications and suicide and all that stuff. So that's pretty much how it ends: is they they he gain, gets his confidence back, and they go into battle, and and then we get the cast roll call at the end. So. <laughs> well, you no, know, he but he goes into battle and he picks up the colors, right? He because. And that's important in this time in warfare because the flag was necessary to identify what unit you were 
so that the people that were commanding it could see mm-hmm. where you were. But it was also important because it could tell the troops which way the unit was supposed to be moving. So for him to pick up the flag and go forward, that indicates to all the other troops that the unit is moving forward. So they're to follow him. And that's a ballsy thing to do. And when the when the actual flag bearer gets taken down, he picks it up and they go forward. And then he comes upon the Confederate soldier who's got the the flag and he goes down. And I was really hoping that he would like stab the guy with the Confederate with, with the American flag, like planted in him. But it's also 1951 and that might have been a bit much. Yeah. I mean, if I was making the movie, Brendan, I would have him like literally like just fucking beat the guy's face in with the blunt end of the bottom of the flag. And then the Hayes uh, Code would be like, nope. Yeah, well, I'm I'm making this movie now and not in the fucking 50s, so suck it, Mr. Hayes. Suck it long and suck it hard. Yeah, fuck you, Robert Hayes, star of Airplane. That's, yeah, you take it, you and your damn drinking problem. <laughs> Nothing's Lloyd Bridges in that movie. Come on, what's no, wrong with you? No, he picked the wrong week to quit quick. Drinking. That's Lloyd Bridges. Robert Hayes. No, Lloyd Bridges picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Robert Hayes had the drinking problem. Oh, sorry, I forgot about that scene. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, let's 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 get into this a little bit. The first thing I want to talk about because this is a movie that was infamously hacked up. We've mentioned that. You yeah. said two hours. I've heard of like a ninety-eight, ninety-six minute cut. Whatever. Either way. Point is, it made it to the it made it to the end, being a much longer movie, and it got hacked to shit to sixty nine minutes long. I have to say, if I knew nothing else about this movie, I would read that and be like, "Oh boy, here mm-hmm. we go. This is yeah. gonna be a stinker." Because of any movie you hear that of, uh, of a yeah. movie getting slashed like that, how many can you say that you genuinely thought, "Well, that was a, they did a pretty good job doing that." Yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't really happen all that much, and and surprisingly, this one is okay. Uh, it it's a this is a a you know it's it's not it clearly feels like to me that there's a lot of stuff missing as far as like a lot of stuff just it all happens very quickly. Yeah, as it, you know, again, it's only sixty nine minutes long up top, but uh, it just yeah, it, it does feel like stuff's missing, and yet that is the strength of the filmmaking is that it's still pretty damn good. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I think spoiler alert for the end. This is a great movie. Yeah, and I it's 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 just so incredibly impressive that this is I think one of the only movies that kind of survived that studio tinkering to cut it down drastically like this and have it be as as good and as successful as it was well not maybe not as successful at the time but certainly through popular culture this is a well-known film obviously and mm-hmm. uh, more maybe more a well-known book but still a yeah. film that has definitely been talked about to this day um yeah. it hasn't fallen into uh you know obscurity like the, like the the conqueror or something <laughs> but rightful obscurity <laughs> yeah the, keep it in obscurity we don't want it um but yeah, apparently this this was a this was a a, a panic because this 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 thing made it to test screenings and audiences fucking hated it. The two hour version, whatever version they watched, people hated it. They yelled at the screen. They laughed during the emotional moments because they thought the they thought the acting was ridiculous. Um, uh, outside of the like you said, the tattered man. Apparently his his death scene and and everything. People really got emotionally emotionally clung to that but even like audie murphy would be at the like the test screen is kind of hiding somewhere and watching and and panicking and being like we've got to do something guys like by jiminy jiminy christmas you know yeah 
<laughs> Dag Nabbit. Um, so they, they, the studio did this without John Huston's blessing. And of course, we'll get into that a little bit and that whole fiasco. But I just think it's incredibly amazing that it still turns out as as great as it is. Yeah, I'm in a situation that's never worked. I'm just going to say it's never well, worked. I'll say the other time there one other time I can think of a movie having its cut taken away from the director and and at least mm. as far as we know working out was American History X. That's true. I would love to see Tony Kay's original cut of that movie you, just to compare. And you'll but probably that's how good. Go ahead. What? Just saying. I was going to say, and that's how, you know, because the, the cut that Edward Norton was responsible for was absolutely fantastic. So I would hope that the Tony K version would be at least as good, but who's to say? Who's to say? Well, I mean, if the rest of the movie was, was Tony K's movie, then I would, I would be, I would definitely want to see the rest. Um, but I will say that uh, Tony K, less likely to do a big budget Hollywood movie after that because he got pretty uh, vocal about his, yeah. his mistreatment on that movie, rightfully so. But yeah. uh, still, you gotta you gotta play politics if you want to stay in that realm. <laughs> if only it had sucked, maybe he'd have had a case. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I just I honestly I can't think of times where it's really worked. I can think of a time where, uh, from what all from what I've heard, it it really sank the movie, and that's the of course the movie Cool World, uh, where it was <laughs> supposed to be a horror film about yeah. uh, animated uh, cartoon characters coming to kill like human beings, uh, which sounds yeah. pretty cool to me. Sound, that sounds fun. Mm. And then when Kim Basinger got on board, it dramatically changed. And then it got it got it got uh, watered down even more because she told the director she wanted to show it to sick children at hospitals. <laughs> so so we can't so we can't show you snatch in this one. <laughs> well, I Wait, think no, that was Sharon Stone, in, wasn't it? <laughs> infamously, the director I think said to Kim Basinger, "I don't think you know what kind of movies I make." <laughs> but yeah, so that's just an example. So anyway, that just a, it's just a standout in that regard. Um, I was going to say, shit, there was another one I was thinking of that it, um, fuck, what was it? Oh, well, I was going to say one of the, a film that, that didn't actually come out this way, but they tried to make it this way was Brazil. Uh, you've probably never watched mm. the Love Conquers All version of Brazil, but it sucks. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to because i feel like it'll just ruin it even when I, if i go yeah. back and watch the good version i'll know it's, that, that exists. I, i'll tell you the, the criterion version of it is interesting because there's a film historian that does commentary on it it's worth watching with him okay because then at least you have some an extra reason to watch it <laughs> that's true um but anyway this movie i i think this um out of all the movies we've seen so far this might be one of the best at showing like the portrayal of honest fear like mm. fear in every soldier, like like I said, it show it's it's showing it's even showing how Audie Murphy's character is masking it because even at the beginning he's telling this other soldier like, oh hot dog, I can't wait to get into that fight and I'm gonna do my part and I'm gonna kill me a bunch of people and blah 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 blah, yeah. and you have Bill Baldwin as the uh, the loud soldier I guess that's like, yeah. well I'm gonna do my part I'm certainly gonna do my share of the fighting I I don't know about anything else but I'm doing my share rah 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 let's go. Um, but it's so phony, right? Like, you yeah. know it's phony, and the movie knows it's phony, and the movie's showing you that. I, well, I just, no. I guess I'm a little surprised. I thought John Huston, maybe I'm confusing him with John Ford, but I always saw John Huston as this very macho film director. But maybe mm. that's more of a John Ford thing, I don't know. 
Um, well, because he does because there's a lot of emotion in this movie there's a lot of emotion and there's a lot of uh, like like honestly like i said this movie feels like it's sympathizing with people who would run in the in the heat of battle and i just don't think that was a common thing to sympathize with in 1951 brendan if i may quote an infinitely wise man the big lebowski himself who said strong men also cry i know and I would say that to, to some directors, and and maybe maybe not even John Ford. Maybe it's that dude who directed uh, Conan. I can't remember his name. He also did Red Dawn. Oh, John John Milius. Yeah, that's the that's the machoist macho director. That's true. Oh, the other guy, John the uh, the guy directed Blues Brothers. John Landis. Yeah, him too. He's a macho macho guy. Yeah, it's pretty macho to kill uh, a man and two children on the set of your movie. And then and then there was John McTiernan. He's pretty macho. He went to prison. He went to prison for like spying on someone. I, I don't even know what he went to prison. I don't even remember. No, that's what happened. He he it was he, he was like, he was like he, Chuck he, burying someone. He was he, like watching him pee. No, he went to prison because he like he like spied. I, I'm gonna look it up. You keep talking about this movie, Jason. <laughs> What's another big thing you want to talk about? Uh, I want to talk about. Well, let me. I'll just pull my notes up here. How about uh, that? How about that scene between Audie Murphy and that off-screen rebel? Yeah, that's a fun one where he's like he's on patrol or not patrol, sentry duty, and he's and he's standing near the edge of a river and hears a voice from across the river go, "All right, Yankee, you're gonna want to move back out of the moonlight, so I'm not gonna have to shoot you." Well, and doesn't that scene just kind of show you too, like? Um, not to put on tiny film glasses or anything, but it's like the real war is out there, man. Like the real war is between the people who are telling us to go to war for them. Yeah. The, the, not necessarily is... every soldier on this side and every soldier on this side is going to have the exact same views. If Lincoln and Davis had settled it with a knife fight like men, they would have saved a lot of lives. But no, they had to fight it with armies and shit. And created a lot of entertainment. Can you imagine? By Imagine the, the PPV buy rate on that. By the way, Jason, uh, John McTiernan, his uh, yeah. former wife, who was a film producer, filed suit against him for invasion of privacy uh, under the belief that he hired a guy to wiretap her telefo- telephone during their divorce negotiations. Huh. Interesting. Uh, but that's not why he went to prison. Uh, I believe no. he went to prison. <laughs> Hold on. I thought it had to do with rollerball. That's why I was going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he made false sta- a false statement to an FBI investigator about the hiring of a private investigator to illegally wiretap the producer of his film, Rollerball. That's what it was. Rollerball <laughs> got him in fucking jail. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Isn't of all nuts? the movies to go to jail for. I know. You went to jail for Rollerball, and then the movie came out, and it fucking sucked. Well, when you have 20 minutes of night vision footage in your movie, what do you think is going to happen? Mm. It's true. Anywho. <laughs> Thankfully, this movie has no night vision footage. No, all day. All day for night. Um, Yeah, I mean, you talked about the battlefield. I think the other stuff that sticks out, too, is they really, and I know accurately the weaponry at the time was cumbersome and hard to like load and everything. But do you notice, did you notice how John Houston like really focuses on that a lot? Like he's showing like close-ups of them, like pushing the gunpowder in and like turn it around and like loading it and taking like a good minute and a half to get it going again. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, I believe, it, it, as we learned in Glory, a, a really good rifleman can fire three shots off in a minute with a musket. Yeah. But that's a, that's a really good rifleman. But I think... Um, but, but you could see how, how they were doing it, right? Because they, um, they had the cover. They'd have guys down, they would fire, and then they would jump back, and the other guys would jump down and fire their guns. And that way, they had time to reload so that they could cycle through. And get more fire. Yeah, like I get how historically it worked, but I'm just saying, like he really focuses and lingers on these shots where they take forever yeah. to get these guns going again, as if to say, like, look at the shitty guns yeah. they had too. On top of being yeah. terrified how, that their lives may end. Yeah, the, these these guns are cumbersome. They are difficult to load, and when you fire them, they're not particularly accurate. Right. But but when used in concert, because that's the thing, is like that's why the Civil War, you know, the, the tactics they had, everybody had to work together because you needed to be tightly packed, you needed to line up, and you needed to fire at the same time because then you just have a big shotgun blast that goes into your enemy. And Jason, that's why whenever I have to go get a, a carton of milk, I take my M16, the easiest and most attractive gun to have at your side. Absolutely. Yes, and you've got all your favorite tactical attachments, your red dot scope, your grenade launcher. I didn't know you could get a grenade launcher as a civilian, but apparently Brendan can. I've he knows got, the right people. I've got three of them. <laughs> I just actually just got a nice uh, Barbie patch for one of them. Now, a bar- it's not a grenade launcher. It's actually an underslung T-shirt yeah. cannon. Barbie the doll, not Klaus Barbie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just want to clarify so mis- <laughs> to the three people out there that might have thought I was talking about Klaus Barbie. <laughs> Yeah, if, if you thought it was Klaus Barbie, immediately stop listening to the podcast and go outside. Yeah, if you went to the movie Barbie and was disappointed that it wasn't about Klaus Barbie, you could just hit stop right now. But if you're a big fan of Rat Race, keep listening. <laughs> I was just talking about that scene today. <laughs> yeah, of course you were. Oh. That's why you had Klaus Barbie on the mind. That's, that's the only reason you, Brendan, would have Klaus Barbie on the mind. 1,000% the only reason, because that's my only context clue for Now, <laughs> exactly. And I'm wondering if we are going to come across a war movie that features Klaus Barbie in any sort, because he was known as the Butcher of Lyon, so. Well, we might. And my other question, follow-up to that, is will John Lovitz be in the movie? I hope so. Ah, uh, you, sir, are a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> So dumb. That movie's so stupid, but it's so funny. That's so funny. Hey, everyone, it's Smash Mouth. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, I want to talk about another character. I know there's like really two characters that they focus on the most, and again, it's only sixty nine minutes up top, and um, but there's a character named Jim Conklin. And he yes. is the, I forget his like soldier, the tall soldier. He's the tall soldier. The tall yeah. soldier. And he gets a really intense kind of scene too. Like I think his performance is pretty solid as well. Um, oh, yeah. Because he gets, he. I mean, he has a death scene. He does get a death scene. The tattered man does not, but the tall soldier gets one. Because that's when uh, Audie Murphy come, comes back and like kind of finds him, right? After the battle and after mm. he's kind of deserted the battle. And... It just adds to, I guess, his guilt because clearly Conklin has went through a lot in that battle and he's been injured, obviously, because he walks off at one point. He's like he walks off into the distance, leaving the the marching, like leaving them all. And of course, Adi Murphy and another guy go over to see what's going on and he just collapses and dies. Yeah, he's basically in the middle of some sort of some something somewhere between an anxiety attack and a full-on psychosis, and it just is the the kind of final nail as he dies. Yeah, so much so that when I heard about like the tattered man and like his death, uh, his death scene in the movie, I was like, wait, 
I thought we did see it. Oh, that's a different character. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm I'm not as good at recognizing Royal Dano as I used to. Yeah. Be. It was certainly a a distant relative of Paul Dano, I perhaps. Was, I was just thinking. I hope so. Because well, you know Hollywood is is full of nepo babies. Yeah, fucking Paul Dano using his his father Royals Hollywood royalty to get to get roles. Look, Andy Devine as the Cherry Soldier, uh, Adam Devine, <laughs> his great great grand nephew. Sure, definitely, yeah. Robert Easton. Yeah, just so great, uh, eighth cousin twice removed of Sheena Easton. Okay, so update to you. <laughs> Paul Dano is the son of a housemaker and a financial advisor. He's not the son of Royal Dano. Uh, well, I mean, he wouldn't be the son of Royal Dano. He'd be like his great-grandson or something. He's not related to Royal Dano. Okay. Sorry. I hate to break that to you like this. Look, Arthur Honeycutt, uh, 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 probably brother of... The character B.J. Honeycutt I, from MASH. I thought you were going to say, Arthur Honeycutt, time to celebrate Honeycutt. <laughs> no. I hope I, I get a harmonicut on this lovely, lovely Honeycutt. So drink your gin and Honeycutt and smoke your merry Honeycutt. If you really, really Honeycutt, have a happy, 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 happy Honeycutt. Happy Honeycutt, everyone. The timing of this episode, will we be getting close to Hanukkah, maybe? <laughs> I don't know how calendars work, Jason. Yeah, props to Bill Malden, man. Bill Malden doesn't, I don't think he's really an actor. He was a, a editorial cartoonist for Stars and Stripes. And also was in the war. Yeah, it was in the war as well, and he just looks like a like forties guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's like kind of young, but also looks older than he should. Like it's clear he's a young guy, but also the fact that he's been through a war and probably smoked a million cigarettes, uh, he just looks older than his years. Mm. Well, I feel like that's just a given for most of the people in old movies. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, but but him, but like where we know his story, he was in the war and he did cartoons and stuff, and he's got that cool ass mustache. He does have a cool ass mustache. That's very true. Uh, another uh, kind of moment I want to mention because we've talked about how they have their discussion like Audie Murphy and Wilson like Bill Malden whatever have their discussion and they realize they both deserted although one was successful obviously and one was not um, there's another moment that he talks about <clears throat> when he talks about uh, you know Audie Murphy says like well you sound like a different person just just uh, just recently like just a while ago you were talking about how you were going to do your part and you're going to do your share of the fighting and all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, well, I was, I was a fool back in those days. And yeah. and that was only like, well, no, the thing is, yeah. the thing is, it was only a day or so ago. But I think the movie is like, that's how quickly war changes people. Like I've never been through war, but there have been moments in my life and periods in my life where I've gone through something over the course of a short period of time that has felt like a very long period of time. Well, I think it just, I honestly, I think it just shows that if you're in the midst of a war, all of a sudden you grow up quick. Like you, you, you have to adjust, you have to adapt. Life probably, your existence probably seems a little longer when you're measuring it in seconds. Like when you're, you know, every, every second is a victory that you're still alive. Yeah. That's how I run my life. Well, you you run your life one second at a time. I run my life one quarter mile of it at a time. You're right, Vin. You uh, you're always you're always just driving up and down the strip. You know, if I could go back in time 
uh, I would get a hold of the executive who cast those movies, and I'd be like, Vin Diesel, he's nobody. You know who you need for this movie? John Travolta. Oh my God, it's like the cars are super fast. It's like the spinning It's like a plane, but you drive it on the highway. (laughs) I would, you know what I would do, Jason? I would go back in time to when they were casting the Fast and Furious and say, no, I'm totally fine with this entire cast that you have, but I have a time machine. Let me show you a little film called Find Me Guilty. And they'd come with me and we'd watch Find Me Guilty. I wouldn't bring the DVD back because it would blow their minds. They'd have to come see it in the future. So they come see it in the future, and then we go back, and I said, Now, don't you think he needs that wig for all these movies? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, it just he would just always have that wig <laughs> that he had in Find Me Guilty for the entire Fast franchise. And boy, oh boy, I would love to see if they're as successful with him wearing that wig. <laughs> I Now I'm thinking, I like the idea of like a short story about a guy who gets a time machine and the only thing he does with it is he goes back in time and convinces the studio executive that greenlit that movie to replace Ja Rule with Ludacris so that Ludacris can be in all of the Fast and Furious movies. Ludacris is in all the Fast and Furious movies. No, he's not. He's not in the first one. Oh, okay. Well, he's in most of them. That's Ja Rule. He's in most. That's Ja Rule. Yeah. And then Ja Rule, I think, got replaced because, you know, Ja Rule's Ja Rule. Well, I think Ja Rule just had a kind of a cameo, though. I don't think he's in it that much. No, he's like a supporting role in that first movie. He's not in the first movie. No, no, he has like one yes. scene. No, he's in more scenes than one he scene. He like loses a race, and, and they said that if he wins, he gets to fuck the two girls, and he loses, and he's like, yeah. no, and then he never shows up again. <laughs> it's, I, I, I watched this movie in the last five years, I, I think. Listen, I'm sorry, Jason. He, he His character's name is Edwin. He was never going to make it into the franchise. <laughs> Okay, we've clearly gotten off topic here. So I, why don't we, why don't we, uh, why don't we break and uh, come back yep. with some bits and bombs? I think that would be best. sounds like a good idea to me. Okay, we'll be right back. Well, hello there, folks. It's me, George McClellan, former commanding general of the Union Army. I like to take things slow in life because why, you know, why worry? Just take your time. And when you're taking your time, you should listen to podcasts, specifically podcasts made by the fine folks over at Age of Radio. Take it from me, George McClellan. You have the time. Take it. Age of Radio. Red, 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 It's a red badge, red, 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 badge, red, It's a red badge of courage, courage, It's a red badge of courage, red badge of courage. And it's time for Bits and Bombs of the Red Badge of Courage. Bits and Bombs. It wasn't until later in this movie that I was, I put it together and was like, oh, they actually mean a wound. Yeah, it's a battle wound, the red badge of courage. Yeah, I, in my head, I'm like, did they have like some sort of a red wound badge back then instead of a purple heart? Like, was it pre-purple heart? No, like, sir. It, it, no, it literally means it's a metaphor it's for a wound. A metapahor, as it's pronounced if you read the word, not knowing that P and H go together as an F. You know, this book was written by like a 22-year-old who had never been to war. And still wrote one of the great Civil War books. A 22-year-old influencer? Yeah. And then he died at 28. Well, he wrote it, He wrote the book. What else was he going to do? No, he wrote a couple more. Okay. He wrote a book He wrote a book about a prostitute, and then he wrote a book about George and his mom, which was somehow connected to the book about the prostitute. Okay. And then he was going to write a book about a male prostitute, but then he died. 
Did he actually write a book about a prostitute? Yeah, it's, it's uh, well, uh, is it called the is it wait 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 is it called the red <laughs> is it called the red vag of courage? Brendan, I knew you were going to go down that road, and you're terrible, and you should die in a fire. Uh, no, it's called da 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 da. That's what it's called. Da da. Guys, da. you can't see it, but when I was like getting ready to say what I what I just said, Jason was like shaking his head seconds before, as if he was like, I, I, "Oh, here we go." I knew what was coming. Maggie, a girl of the streets. Okay, okay. I th- I still think it was called the Red Vag of Courage. <laughs> Yeah, of course you do. You you certainly think that. Um, okay, cool. Um, so and that was obviously made into later adapted into the film Pretty Woman, directed by Gary Marshall. Yes. Yeah. I I nope. oh, what? No, you go ahead. I like how right up front the movie also I wrote the well, I should say at first I wrote hurry up credits, we only have sixty nine minutes, but I like how right up front the movie is tying itself very closely to the book. It's like, if you don't like yeah. this movie, you don't like the book because this is how great mm. the book is. And it's acclaimed. And the narration will be literally passages from the, that we're reading from the book. And again, yeah. you love the book, so you'll love the movie. It's cool that they have those passages from the book as the narration. But, of course, the narration was something that was added by the studio. Mm-hmm. Probably to fill the holes that uh, <laughs> that this movie has. Yeah, but, I'm um, sure. Yeah. But... If they're going to have narration, I'm glad it was at least directly from the book. Yeah. Uh, and apparently they also panicked and put in that lo- put in a lot of stuff at the beginning, like including them opening the book. That open mm-hmm. that book opening title that we get um, was them being like, we have to remind people that this is the book. We want them to love it. <laughs> that's, what, yeah. that's what they did. Um, I also like how – I also like this line that comes up very early on where someone says, I wouldn't be too sure about tomorrow if I were you. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, no, that's a good sentiment. Mm-hmm. In war, for sure. Mm-hmm. I was so you remember the last Civil War movie we watched, which was Glory. I talked about Civil War syndrome, where they where they cast fat reenactors in a movie. Yeah, that was not an issue in this movie. They and specifically, apparently, John Huston like was like go <laughs> take a bunch of money and go out to a bunch of taverns and shit and find like a bunch of lowlifes and hobos oh. and bring them in here because they look like. The kind of guys we want. Well, apparently to be he in this wanted movie. he wanted to make it look like not a Hollywood film. He wanted to make yeah. it look gritty and more realistic. And it does. Yeah, it does. it does. Well, like especially like Bill Malden is not a typical Hollywood star of the day. He's got a face uh, that could uh, crack a walnut, but that's wow. okay because that's what we want. Mm-hmm. Jason's <laughs> just taking shots. Uh, you know what I was inspired by the movie because I love all the old timey language in it Uh, uh, you know like I don't give a hang and uh, there's actually one scene where we hear the phrase I'm bleeding like a cow (laughs) twice in a row yeah I know the cows bled particularly you know what do I know I'm not a farmer at one point are they digging a trench with their bayonets Uh, what they're trying to do is build up some dirt that they can use as cover Okay, because I they're not gonna they're not gonna be able to dig a whole trench, but they can quickly like build up enough of a pile that they can like lay on top of it and even because because when you're prone you're like in in like you know that sort of like field combat when you're prone you're leaving as little of yourself you know revealed to the enemy as possible right because you're down flat on the ground the only thing they can really see ideally is like your face it just looked it just looked very uh, it just looked it just looked distressful. Yeah. Oh, very stressful. But it, it's you know it's something to do. Is it weird? <laughs> While you're, you're... Yeah. Is it weird for me to say, Jason, that one of these actors looked like me? <laughs> I know. I no. I 
I saw one of them and I was like, he kind of looks like me. I, I, you know what? I didn't see that guy. I'd like to see a picture of him. I did see there's an actor leader in the movie that I was like, wait a minute. Did Jonathan Torrens time travel and show up in this movie? Local Nova Scotia actor Jonathan Torrens uh, from Trailer Park Boys. There was a guy that totally had his hair cut in this movie. And what did you find out? Uh, no, he didn't. Oh. Yeah. Because time travel is impossible what? as far as we know. Yeah, I know. It's bullshit. Hmm. But it doesn't stop people from watching time travel movies. Be like, but that couldn't happen. And then me being like, shut up. It's a time travel movie. I really did like the use of different angles and such angles in this movie. Uh, gave it a nice, interesting look that, again, we've talked about other movies that did that as well. And it's no Battlefield Earth, but it does use them to a proper extent. <laughs> there's there's mention at some point of uh, a worry about the soldiers being disoriented at times and not knowing who the enemy is. Like, just being so disoriented that someone would come at them and they'd just shoot them. Because they'd just be terrified of anyone coming for them and... And I was like, man, that's a real scary thing to think about. Well, yeah, especially when you, you know, because you've got all this smoke in the air, you got all this dust in the air, and then you got guys coming in in a line and fighting in hand-to-hand combat. And ultimately, you know, if if the if if the Rebs are wearing uniforms, they're not that much different than the Union uniforms. Uh, and in fact, early in the war, there were a lot of Confederate units that just straight up wore their Union uniforms and made it very confusing on the battlefield, especially because mm-hmm. the first Confederate flag, the Stars and Bars, at a distance looked almost exactly like the Stars and Stripes, which is part of the reason why it was changed. Jason, you mentioned, uh, I can't believe you mentioned that there was no, uh, I think you mentioned there was no women in this movie, but... There is a me- no. I said there was no people of color in this. Movie. Well, I mean, I'm I'm going to say that you also said there's no women in this movie, so my joke works better. Um, oh, okay. You said, you said there was no. You said, uh, and I quote, "There's no women <laughs> in this movie, Dag Nabbit. Um And I just want to tell you, Jason, there's no women in this movie, but there is mention of a woman because there is a quote in this movie where a guy says, "A woman, a dog, and a walnut tree. More you beat them, better they be." And I said, yeah. "Yikes." <laughs> Yikes! No, but the, but Brendan, there is a woman in this movie because it's it's the woman that the the crazy soldier tries to steal the pig from, and oh, everybody's right. having the time of their life watching this guy try to steal the pig from this woman, and they're all cheering on the woman. That's true. They are <laughs> cheering they should the woman be. on. But they're not helping her. No, <laughs> they're just happy to watch this go down because they got nothing else to do. Sorry, I did forget about that one female character, but mm-hmm. I still think that quote is very distressing. <laughs> Yeah, it is very distressing, but that you know that was would have been some of the attitude at the time. The I'm style sure. At the time, yeah. Uh, I tell you, one scene that I was impressed with because it was pretty pretty rough for 1951 was when they come upon that body on the ground on the path that's like just encrusted in dirt and just like clearly pounded down into the dirt to some extent. Like that seemed pretty gruesome for 1951. Yeah, agreed. And even. Even like when we have, I think the tattered guy, he's like all shot up in the arm and stuff, and he's covered in blood. And yeah, it's uh, there's some pretty violent stuff in this movie for a movie made in this year. Speaking of violent stuff, I have a question for you. Sure. You mentioned this. Uh, well, you didn't, but our intro guy mentioned this, of course. Mm-hmm. What the hell is hardtack and so belly? Sow belly. Uh, well, well, hardtack is a type of uh, biscuit. Okay. It's basically just flour and water and I don't know what else, but it's uh, it was famously used on ships. Uh, it used to get weevils in it a lot, but it was great because it kept forever. So it was a little bit of something to eat. And sow belly is just like pig, pig belly. 
just to what cheap just because probably pig belly was the only thing they could get a hold of or they had pigs available so that's what they were eating was pig belly and hardtack especially because you could take the bacon uh the pig belly like and then fry up the hardtack in it and it would help soften up the hardtack because the hardtack's name was well given because it could break your fucking teeth it was so hard jesus yeah <laughs> so you're eating basically like uh bland co- the hardest cracker you ever saw <laughs> bland crackers and bacon well, see, the thing is, if you take that pork belly, which got a lot of fat, right? Then you fry the 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 hardtack up in it. It softens it up and it makes it taste like uh, bacon and pig. Jason, we should have had hardtack and sow belly for this podcast. Uh, we really should have. It would have been good. And that's, of course, that's the funny bit where the general is going down the line, talking to each of the units and doing the same bit with all of them, where he's like, "Hey, uh, am I invited to supper? What are you having for supper tonight? Sal belly and hardtack. Mind if I join you?" Yeah, and he's. I wrote that he's not showing up. He doesn't give a shit. Oh, there was one <laughs> moment that I thought was really, uh, really a lot to deal with. But there's a soldier yeah. that's dying, and just as he's about to kind of die, he picks up his glasses and puts them on and then dies. I thought that was such a choice. Yeah. I don't know if that was a choice on the actor's part or if that was something the director came up with or if that was in the script, but like that, yeah, that he get, he falls, he not even thinking, grabs and puts his glasses on and then immediately dies. It's kind of like, it's not completely like this, but you know, like the whole, the, the Zapruder tape when yeah. JFK is shot and then immediately, uh, immediately Jackie Kennedy runs to the back of the car and for years people said oh she's trying to get away but no her instinct was to grab the back of his head that had flown off that was that was her just like immediate instinct like oh i've got to get it and that just it just reminded me of that like it's like oh my glasses are off i better put them on despite like you know he knows he's gonna die he's like his first thing is like i gotta get everything back to normal Um, but you know what? Yeah. The unit, the 304th, they, d- despite what happens in battle, they do hold. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm, I wasn't, I got to look, <laughs> I should probably look this up, but the, the general at one point describes them as fighting like mule drivers. And I can't quite tell if that's good or bad. Well, uh, I mean, I feel like it's good because of, of the idea is that a mule driver would beat the shit out of his mule, but, or, or maybe a good mule driver is one that doesn't beat the shit out of his mule. You know what? I'm just going to Google fight like a mule driver. That sounds like something that good old JR would say. Oh, okay. The men are being compared to mule drivers because they are tenacious. They show tenacity in battle. They never give up until they have won. Okay. All right. So it's a good thing. I, my, my last thing I want to mention for, for Bits and Bombs is there's a line that uh, some character says that says, ain't no holes in me except the ones that was intended. Yeah. <laughs> it feels feels risque. Ooh, okay. <laughs> talking about his butt oh, well. What holes you talking about, brah? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. Like, but but you get it. Like, he comes back from battle and he's jealous almost of the guys that have wounds because they have proof of their loyalty. Well, that's what I mean. Of he, their he fighting, he thinks he's he finds himself to be a coward. Yeah, and he says like, "You have proof that you." Went into battle, did your thing, and you came out on the other side. That's the best part. So now you can talk about it. Now you can, like, uh, you know. I thought it was funny when uh, when the general prays to God and he refers to God as sir. <laughs> I thought that was strange. And I'm like, wait, is he praying to God or is he actually, like, praying to, like, General Grant or something? Or whoever's in charge. General Burnt. I don't know who the fuck's in charge at this point, whether it's Burnside or Grant or fucking McClellan. But... Well, I just thought it was weird because we all know after watching uh, Dogma, that God is Alanis Morissette, so it's not a sir. 
Yeah, exactly, ma'am. Yeah. That, well, that would have been that, that would have been out there for 1951. That would have caused some imagine? real controversy. Lady God. <laughs> the I, I don't remember what the exact line was, but one of the uh, peoples gives the equivalent of "Do you apes want to live forever?" Uh, going into battle. Must must be when he grabs the colors. Yeah, when he grabs those colors and presses forward, I expected him to scream, out, do you apes want to live forever? From your favorite movie, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> do, do you apes want to live forever? <laughs> <laughs> hey, apes. No, really, for serious, because I'm going to kill you. No, really, I want to know. I'm at a crossroads. Make this work. <laughs> apes, come on, speak to me here. <laughs> And then Paul Giamatti, do you, or do you not want to live forever? And then Paul Giamatti's like, I'm not, I'm not playing a Jewish stereotype. Oh, what if, what if that movie had been about like Marky Mark playing sort of a K-Pax type character who wanted to bring eternal life to the apes? Mm. That would have been. Do you just want to live forever? I could show you the Anything way. Anything would have been better than how the fact that they made all the darker apes the villains. I don't remember that, but that doesn't seem wrong. Oh, so all, so all the all the like softer humaner looking apes were cool. Yep. Yeah, that's that's some bad Come shit. Come on, Tim Burton. <laughs> this is coming from the same director who, when questioned why he doesn't have a lot of uh, diversity in his cast, he was like, "They don't fit my aesthetic." I, if his aesthetic is pale and goth, then perhaps I could see his point, but that doesn't that doesn't really, really you excuse know. it. <laughs> no. <laughs> there are black goths. Okay. There are. They exist. And and other too. Anyway. All sorts of people. All sorts of people. All sorts of colors love being goths. Lots of peoples in your movies. Come on. So the last bit I just want to talk about here in Bits and Bombs is uh, Wilson captures the enemy colors. He picks up the flag that the dying Confederate gets. Actually, I have one other thing after this. Um, but But that actually is a really... That's a big deal when you take your enemy's colors, and it reminds me of a story. There is a... There was a Minnesota unit in World War... Or World War II... There was a Minnesota unit in the Civil War that uh, captured this Arkansas units. I think it's Arkansas or Alabama, one of the southern units, obviously, captured their their colors. And to this day, these colors are in a museum in Minnesota. And the current modern governments of the states have, like, sent insistent letters that they return those colors <laughs> to the states. And fucking Minnesota's like, nope, they're ours. We got them fair and square. So who <laughs> fucking cares? Well, you know what those heritage not hate people are uh, like. Oh, I know, but also <laughs> yeah. who cares? They want their fucking Confederate flag back. Well, we want our little flag back. Well, you shouldn't have fucking lost it, should you? Yeah. Well, why don't you win a battle then? Yeah, exactly. You should have won that battle. Then you could have had their colors, but no. no. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is that we have uh, we have our we have our great Civil War moment in a movie of a, hey, we're not so different, but it actually works pretty good in this one. I wrote that down too. Where they <laughs> where they do capture a um, a Confederate guy, and he's like, you know, he's like, where are you from? He's like, well, I'm from Ohio. I ain't never met no one from Ohio. Where are you from? I'm from Arkansas. I ain't never met no one from Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, so that's pretty nice. It's, you know, pretty, it's like, oh, we're not so different. We're just brothers, you just, know. Yeah, it's a nuanced look at. Again, I will. I, again, I say this again. It does just because the Confederacy represented a certain viewpoint doesn't mean that every single person on that army was a rotten, no, evil, but, racist piece of shit. I mean, I, I appreciate those sorts of scenes that reaffirm that these people are ultimately the same. But like I say, in some movies like this, it works okay. In other movies, like in Gettysburg, it comes off a little thick, you know. Do do your impression of that scene again. You take care, Billy Yank. You take care, Johnny Reb. <laughs> oh, Ron Maxwell, let you never become yeah. subtle. 
Um, okay. Well, those are the bits and bombs then. Those are my bits and bombs. Yeah. Oh, and then my last note was it definitely feels truncated. I feel like there's a couple of moments where his character changes a little too quickly, and I feel like there'd be a little more there, but what are we going to do? Apparently, it doesn't exist. Nobody seemed to recover it yet, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen, unfortunately. Well, I'll get into some of the uh, the stuff behind the scenes now. Now, um, so if you actually, if you want to read a lot about the, the history of the making of this movie, there is actually a book uh, called Picture um, uh, by Lillian Ross, who actually, that's what that book is about. It's about uh, the making of the book, uh, <laughs> the making of the book, the making of the film, The Red Badge of Courage. Um, so I might, I, I might actually check that out. That's very interesting. Mm. Um of course, in this movie, of the uh, three of the stars of this movie served served in World War II. Obviously, Audie Murphy. We've got Bill Malden, uh, who played uh, the Loud Soldier. He is an editorial cartoonist who created a cartoon called Upfront. And uh, uh, James Whitmore, who, who was the narrator, uh, served with the U.S. Marine Corps. So, um, just one second here. Oh. So we talked about the controversy about the movie being cut down. Apparently, Houston and Audie Murphy both tried unsuccessfully to buy the movie so that they could re-edit it to its original length. But Houston was um, kind of distracted at the time because he was trying to he was trying to go into pre-production on the African Queen. So he was like, "I can't spend all this time like worrying about this when I've got this big budget fucking Humphrey Bogart movie." Humphrey Bogart, Catherine Hepburn movie I've got to focus on. So eventually he kind of lost sight of it. The studio claimed that the cut footage was destroyed. Uh, there was a big MGM vault fire in 1965. It, it This always makes me upset because there's so many lost movies because of stuff like this. And it's just a yeah. sh- real shame. Well, um, I mean, it ultimately boils down to the fact that, you know, nitrate film is extremely flammable. It, it's just a shame just, that they didn't care about preserving it as much as they do now. Yeah. But, well, I mean, it's, yeah, because you, I mean, but that's just as a quick side note, that's a problem throughout the early television, especially with wiping tapes. The BBC was infamous for oh, that. Oh, We're I'm, lucky that Monty Python got saved because it almost got wiped. Oh, we I'm, lost a ton of Doctor Who episodes that way. Like, it's... People, there was a weird time in history where people didn't think about preserving stuff at all, which is so antithetical to now where everything's on archive.org, you know? Yeah. I know that. I'm just saying it sucks. <laughs> I know it does. Um, yeah, he was even contacted by MGM in the 70s because they wanted to release his original cut, and he was like, I don't have it. Um, how- apparently, the, the, this, this experience led to him having a writer put in his contract that said he had to have a 16 millimeter copy of every one of his films or of his, his cut of the film. Um, I got some trivia about this movie too. So when the filming was completed, John Huston did hold a special screening for the cast and crew and uh, everybody, they were all overwhelmed by it. They said, Oh my God, it's the best movie you've ever, you've ever made. Mr. Mr. John Huston, Audie Murphy couldn't believe his own performance. He's like, wow, I did that. And uh, I I found out his mentor was Hedda Hopper, which very upsets me a little bit because she was one of the I, gossip column. She's one of the most infamous gossip columnists from back in the day, and she, her, uh, and the other one were uh, terrible, like just awful, uh, awful moralistic Christian fucking uh, gossip columnist people from Hollywood. It was her and Luella Parsons. They were like the oh, okay. worst two people in the Hollywood. Well, it was probably good for Audie Murphy that he had her on his side. Sure. 
Um, Audie Murphy had a lot of insecurities on set, so John Huston kind of tried to keep a, a kind of an upbeat feeling on the set. Um, apparently, they said he was he had sort of a paternal relationship with him. He was kind of saw Houston as kind of a father figure um, because. At 26 years old at the time, Audie Murphy was still dealing with the horrors that he witnessed during World War II. Yeah. So he was still dealing and with some. He was still he was dealing with early stages of PTSD at that time. And you don't get that much metal on your chest without having seen some fucking shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he held off a whole unit of Germans by himself for like 10 minutes or something, like while his comrades came. It's probably even longer than that. I don't know, but. Well, so much. Yeah, and and honestly, to infer, I got to read between the lines here because I know John Huston's reputation and I know Audie Murphy's later life problems. They just, I bet you, they got fucking shit faced together. <laughs> I mean, probably. Uh, did Audie Murphy have drinking problems later? Oh yeah, oh, okay. yeah, later in life for sure. Well, at one point in the original script, uh, the loud soldier accuses him of cowardice, and they, apparently they just kept doing retakes, and the accusation eventually got to Audie Murphy, like in real life. And he finally, like, just broke down in the middle of the take and accused Bill Maudlin of trying to get at him with the line. Um, He also had trouble admitting that he was a coward in the scene. And then finally Bill Maudlin just went to the director and said, listen, I think Audie is having trouble confessing to a Stars and Stripes cartoonist that he ran from battle. So we need to rewrite this. So Houston did a rewrite so that Maudlin would confess first. And then prompting Murphy's character to admit to his own feelings. So yeah. he kind of had to lead him in a little bit because Audie Murphy was feeling like, are they trying to call me a coward in real life? Like, I think just his head, you know, just what he'd been yeah. through and what he'd seen. And there was a, this was a movie. I get it. But it's just a movie. You're playing a character. But he's still sure. like, this guy's not an actor. He's not used to the shit. And some guy's just looking at him, calling him a coward. And they're on a war set. Like, it must all feel very real to him. Yeah, I mean, and this was even before he did uh, 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 Hell, whatever the movie is about his own life, yeah. which must have been a surreal experience for him. Now, they say he was very at ease for the most part during the set, but there was one point where an assistant director yelled at him the wrong way, I guess, and he left a crowd scene he was in, grabbed the guy by the shirt, and told him, don't you ever talk to me like that again. Um, and in another incident, he stopped two men in a car from harassing some teens on motor scooters. When the men tried to start a fight with them, he attacked both of them with his riding crop. <laughs> what? Yeah. He had a riding crop? He had crop. a riding crop. They had to go to the hospital, um, and they never Was knew. He a pro wrestling manager just carrying around a riding crop? Well, he sent them to the hospital, and they never they never found out, like, they never knew who he was, so they never knew he'd just been beaten up by, like, World War II's most decorated soldier. Yeah. Yeah, damn. Um, so, yeah, and Bill Malden, uh, we mentioned he's a cartoonist. Uh, he also won several Pulitzer Prizes for his work, and he already had served with Audie Murphy, so he knew him. He was served with his unit in Italy. Um, so, of course, you're talking about the disastrous test screenings for this. A bunch of people walked out. The serious scenes evoked laughter. They added the narration by James Whitmore and including the explanatory introduction to explain the novel had been universally hailed as a classic. And even that didn't help at first. Audiences at the third preview still hated it. Um, There was also some buzz at the time. You mentioned Royal Dano. His scene was cut down quite a bit. Actually, the buzz was so strong that he was going to be up for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination. But because they cut out most of his stuff, um, they, they didn't 
it obviously didn't end up happening. And apparently a lot of the reason why they cut it, I'm just finding this out as I read it, um, is because they found this scene far too intense. Like it was just too much to deal with. And it took people out for the rest of the movie. They noticed the, the, the producers noticed. So they said, we've got to, we've got to cut this. We've got to cut this out. This is disturbing. <laughs> so. It's too, it wasn't consistent with the rest of the, the tone maybe was too dark to be consistent with the rest of the film, which, you know, is a war movie, so it probably should be at least a little dark. A little but. dark, but again, 1951, six years removed from the Second War. You know, don't know if people were super ready for that stuff yet. Well, and I wonder if that's part of the issue of why people didn't take it seriously, yeah. is because they weren't ready to deal with guys, you know, dealing with their cowardice in an open way. But Jason, this movie did receive mixed reviews from contemporary critics. Um, it was notable for its realistic portrayal of the Civil War, but it also faced some criticism. Most critics li- uh, enjoyed the performances of Audie Murphy. Um, others appreciated the cinematography and the direction. However, a lot of critics didn't like the film's departure from the novel, as it omitted, obviously, certain elements and characters because it was 69 minutes long, up top, brother. And some felt that it didn't really capture the full depth of uh, of, the, of the book. And, yeah. you know, the film also faced challenges with its production and its editing and all that stuff. Of course, now it's seen in a much different light. Uh, people like the movie a lot more than they did in 1951. It does not, in fact, go to the Oscars. I was wrong when I thought that this movie uh, got Audie Murphy an Oscar nomination. I really thought that's what happened. But Audie Murphy's yeah. never been nominated or or won an Oscar. Um, but, but I must have, you know, I'm con- <laughs> he got every award in the military, but he couldn't get the one thing he wanted. Yeah, an Oscar. What a loser. Um, yep. <laughs> I must've been confusing him with, uh, another non-actor, Harold Russell, who won an Oscar for best years of our lives. Cause he was a non-actor who did that role and got an Oscar in his first acting role. Huh. But anyway, it like does our not. Pal from, uh, I was going to say like our pal from, uh, uh, Killing Fields. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so no Oscars, but it does go to the BAFTAs as nominated for one award. Does not win, though. What do you think? Best Cinematography. Nope. It is nominated for Best Film from Any Source. Uh, and the winner that year is, of course, your favorite and mine, La Ronde. Remember that movie? Okay. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, budget for this movie, $1,673,000. Box office, $1,080,000. It is a bomb. It eventually made it back up on DVD. I mean, yeah, not to the people were <laughs> that mattered, I guess. <laughs> Look, just because everybody's dead when it was made doesn't mean that it can't eventually turn a profit. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it, it, was, it was a movie that's definitely gained a reputation improved its reputation since it came out but what kind of reputation does it have with you well you know me brendan i love a civil war film and this is like like the best civil war films this isn't just a rah rah look at us or uh, or even worse uh, a rod maxwell-esque rah rah look at the south and how awesome they were this this has the background of the Civil War, but it's about a guy dealing with his own fears and overcoming that. And and I guess, as you said, growing up in quickly and, and becoming a man. And we see that over the course of a brief 69 up top, my brother, minutes. And it's very good for what it is. I mean, would I like to see more of it? Would I love to see the original cut? Yeah, because I think we'd have a Stone Cold classic. I think the fact that it's not totally complete maybe doesn't quite get it there but 
I can't argue with what's there. It's it's very well made. It's entertaining. It, the battle scenes are so well done. John Huston, you know, taking some interesting cues from film noir and his composition of shots and everything. Like this is a fascinating movie, and really any movie that has Audie Murphy in it is going to be interesting because of who who he is, just of who he is. That's enough to make me watch an Audie Murphy movie, right? And turns out he's not a bad actor. So. I, I really like this movie. I don't know that it would necessarily be in my top 10, but it's up there. It's good. It's good. Uh, I'm still a glory guy, though, when it comes to Civil War movies, but we'll see how things go. What's, what's your super official rating, though? Uh, my super official rating of this movie is uh, six out of nine John Brown's bodies moldering in their graves. Very dark rating indeed. Um, yeah, no, I think this movie was uh, a bit of a surprise to me. I I felt like it was going to be an hour of like, whoa, shucks, look at this guy, and he's so brave. And I thought it would be the American version of, um, do you remember that fake propaganda movie that plays in Inglorious Bastards? Where the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I thought yeah. it would be like the American version of that, where Audie Murphy's just yeah. sniping folks left and right, like taking them out. Mm-hmm. But it's really nuanced, honestly. It's it's a really interesting movie. I would say it's I would say it's great. I think I liked it even a little bit more than you. Um, maybe I don't know, but uh, Audie Murphy's good in it. He does he does what he needs to he's a compassionate young soldier um and the rest of the cast are hold their own uh the movie looks great john houston does a great job directing it and like you like you said i would be interested to see the longer cut but i'm also curious as to why people hated it so much Mm. i'd like to see if it's actually terrible even yeah. if it's, t- I mean, maybe it's, yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing is that anybody involved with that movie could say whatever they want because we're never going to see it. Right, right. <laughs> so John Huston be like, oh, it, it was the best movie I ever made. <laughs> right, and then you're like, okay, John Huston, we'll see. <laughs> like maybe it was the best movie you ever made when it was cut down to sixty nine minutes up top, my brother. But well, the, I was going to say the other one famously that comes to mind having that happen to it was uh, is it the Magnificent Ambersons. Uh, the one that Wells had like a half hour cut out on him oh. and, and he was always pissed about it. And that turned out pretty great too. Yeah, and I guess it's it's regarded as a classic. Didn't he also uh Touch of Evil? They didn't they wanted him to I mean he eventually did it, but they wanted him to cast Charlton Heston as a Mexican. Something like that. You know what? I feel like after after he made Citizen Kane, I don't think he ever made a movie again where he didn't have somebody poking their nose oh, into his business. For sure, because <laughs> that movie caused so many problems for so many people. Yeah. Um but anyway, yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, but Jason, we are gonna move on. We're done with this movie. We're gonna we're gonna move on from here, and we're gonna continue on our list. We are gonna jump right up to 2009, and we're gonna talk about number 62 on the list, and that is a movie called City of Life and Death, directed by oh Lou Chuan. Woo, Brendan. Yes. I think we are in for some intention. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. Let's let's just let's just read what old Letterbox has he, uh, has here. Uh, in 1937, during the height of the Second Sino-Japanese War, the Imperial Japanese Army has just captured Nanjing, then capital of the Republic of China. What followed was known as the Nanking Massacre or the Rape of Nanking, a six-week period wherein tens of thousands of Chinese soldiers and civilians were killed. Jason, I feel like this one is going to be intense. This is one of the dark, I mean, in in a war full of dark periods, this is one of the darkest. Yeah, 2009, so they're not going to shy away either. 
No, um, I mean, I hope not. And it's something that needs to be seen, and it's terrible, terrible, you know, full infamy. Jason, every comment here is, says, notoriously difficult watch, terrifying to watch. But you know what? I have, I have my prediction is that it's going to be really great, though. Mm. I feel like it, mm, I, I feel so. like it's going to be good. Um, so <laughs> watch that if you want, I guess, folks. Uh, it sounds like it's up there with movies like Schindler's List and shit in terms of like disturbing ones to watch. So I'm thinking it'd be probably up more up there with something like what Come and See is going to be, but uh, we'll see. I don't know. Should we watch Come and See the week after this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's do a real double header night and really put ourselves into our own graves. Yeah. Well, Jason, I feel like I organize these as, as as best as I can. I feel like Red Badge of Courage wasn't too heavy of a watch, so no. uh, we're going to get real heavy we next week. We're going to be watching 1941 after this one. <laughs> well, no, but you know what? I'll tell you this. The one after this one is uh, definitely a lighter watch. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. With that being said, um, that's it for us. You can find us on all the podcast apps. You can get to, you can go to our home base at Age of Radio at ageofradio.org slash for screen. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter at FSAC Pod. That's for screen. Podcast. We're also at the same uh, same tag on Blue Sky. So if you want to check out Blue Sky, I think you need an invite still, but um, hit us up. Jason, what about you? Same for me, at Jason D. McLeod. That's me on Twitter, and that's also my Blue Sky name. We're, we're doing it. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Thank you. You're welcome. You remembered. I, I memorized it. I spent all day today in front of the mirror just going over it. What a good boy. While masturbating. What, a, what an excellent boy. And saying good boy out loud. Uh, yes, as you should. Has it painted a mental picture for you yet? Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've in fact, I'm painting, painting a physical picture of it right now. I have a canvas beside me and I'm just <laughs> going to town. Oh, can I see that real quick? Yeah, here. What do you think of that? Oh wow, there's a lot of dicks in that picture. I mean, you know, it, it's a mind's eye thing, but I think it's appropriate. Okay, okay. Oh, I noticed you added the uh, you signed it Leonardo da Vinci for some reason. Look, I want to sell it for some money, so. Right. No, you guys, you don't understand. You don't remember that time Leonardo da Vinci painted that picture of that dude masturbating in the mirror with all the dicks? Yeah, and don't you think that one would be worth the most money of all of them? Because, you know, he's jerking it. off in a picture. They didn't do that in the Italy days. <laughs> Italy days. Yeah, in Italy yeah. days. Back in those Italy days. You know, Assassin's Creed too. <laughs> the, the most accurate representation of Italy days. Absolutely. All right. Well, anyway, we're going to wrap it up here. Or, Jason, perhaps you would like to wrap it up for us this week. Well, Brennan... We've we've had a fun time today. We've learned a lot. We've we've been introduced to the work of Audie Murphy. We've learned a lot of lessons today. We've learned that if we're gonna fight the Rebs, we gotta, you know, put up a little dirt to lay down on. Hmm. So with that, I just have to say to you, God save the king. And come on over here under my wing. That's a weird place to come. And for screen and country, I'm Jason. And I'm Brendan, and I'm sticky. Yeah, extremely, extremely. You should probably do something about that. Mm. Oh, my brave lady sleeps in a faded coat of blue in a lonely grave unknown lies the heart 
the beat so true. 